It is good to be with you uh, yet again, the third Sunday in a row. This is a delight for me to be here, and um, I trust that God will bless us today as we read his word together. Uh, we have a rather complicated word from God this morning in 2 Peter, uh, chapters 1 and 2, so if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up and keep it open. Uh, it'll be helpful to come back to it if you've got your Bible on a phone and you can keep it on that screen, that'll be great. Um, you'll think of benefit, I think, from uh, being able to look at what I'm talking about to see and hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to begin reading with verse 3 of uh, chapter 1 of 2 Peter, uh, because it sort of sets the tone of the rest of the letter. Then I'm going to jump over to verse 12 and read through verse 3 of chapter 2. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Keep that phrase in mind, everything we need for life and godliness. And then over to verse 12. So, says Peter, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, one of my favorite parts of being a grandpa is telling stories to my grandchildren. They're all a little old for it now. In fact, I could sit in their laps now. But I have very fond memories of sitting on the couch with them 
one tucked under each arm, telling them stories of my life, making up silly stories about their lives, or, or reading from the great classic stories of childhood. You know, Pokey Little Puppy, Goodnight Gorilla, and the ever-popular and deeply meaningful Green Eggs and Ham. It just doesn't get any better than that. And that's what Grandpa Peter is doing in our text with his spiritual grandchildren. He's getting old. You heard him say that, that he's about to fold up the tent of his body. And as old men will do, he looks back to the good old days of the beginning of Christianity and ahead to the bad new days of what's going to happen to Christianity. And so he gathers his, his spiritual grandchildren around them, around him, to tell them once, one more time the truth of the Christian faith. And he does it by telling them a story. You caught, I'm sure, the word stories at the beginning of the reading and again at the end. Now, the story that he tells them is not some story of his own life, though he's in it, and not stories of their lives, but the story of Jesus and his love. Peter's afraid that that story is going to be forgotten or distorted or somehow misapplied. So he admits he's told it many times, the way old men sometimes do with their favorite stories. But he wants to tell it one more time because, as he says to them in the verse I opened with, in that story, they have everything they need for life and godliness. This story changes people's lives. It is very simply the most important story ever told. Now, that's quite a claim in a world full of stories. I, I know that. We are a storytelling species because stories are how we make sense of our lives. Shakespeare said, Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And sometimes it seems that way, doesn't it? But we really can't live with lives that mean nothing, so we tell ourselves stories. You see a man standing on the corner, the driveway in and out of Meyer, at least the Meyer that I go to, he's there every day. And you tell yourself a story about that man holding a sign that says, give me money. Well, that's a drug addict who's just trying to feed his habit. No, that's a veteran who's suffering from PTSD. No, that's a lazy bum who just doesn't want to work. No, that's a, that's a good family man who's just fallen on hard times. We tell ourselves stories about the meaning of events. And we tell ourselves stories about our own lives. We all have our own life story which gives us our place in the world, helps us know how to act, how to relate to people. I'm a little Dutch boy, born in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 
raised in Denver, Colorado, went to the Denver Christian Schools, and then I went to Calvin College where I met the love of my life, and we have two children. She became a teacher and I became a preacher. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. And then, of course, there are the great cultural stories. The meta-narratives that tell us as a people who we are, where we stand in history, what our lives are all about. The American story. You know, Columbus sailed the blue, the, the pilgrims, the Revolutionary War, that whole story. If you're from Canada, you just happen to be here today, you have the Canadian story. Maybe you are part of an immigrant story. We all have stories that are important. Many of them are helpful and good and even true. But there are also insidious stories, stories that sound true and seem helpful, but are ultimately false and deeply destructive. Peter has a name for them at the last verse that I read in the second chapter there. He calls those stories plastois logois. Plastois. That sounds a little like plastic. That's because that's where the word plastic came from. He's talking about stories that are manufactured, that are fabricated, molded to shape reality, and thus are finally false. These plastic stories that he's talking about exploit people, robbing them of their money, their dignity, sometimes their very lives. You say, give me an example. I'm glad you asked. I will. In the Wall Street Journal a while back, there was a story about the 100th anniversary of the Russian Communist Revolution. That was the story that dominated the 20th century. It persuaded many people and brought many other people to war. Here's what the Wall Street Journal said. Communism entered history as a fierce yet idealistic condemnation of capitalism, promising a better world. Its adherents blamed capitalism for the miserable conditions of afflicted peasants and workers alike and for indentured servants and child labor. The communists saw World War I, the slaughter, of that war as nothing more than the rapacious competition of world powers for resources. And so the communists told a story to people, a story about class strife, economic equality, and a worker's paradise. And millions of people were persuaded. Dozens of nations went along with the communist story. But, writes the Wall Street Journal, a century of communism in power has made clear the human cost of a political program bent on overthrowing capitalism, the effort to eliminate free markets and private property 
has brought the death of 65 million people and the destruction of one economy after another. That's a plastic story that exploited and destroyed. There are others I could, I could go on for a long time. There's the sports story, a story I particularly like. Not the story that sports are fun and healthy, but the story that sports are the be-all and end-all of life. If you're not a sports star, if you're not on the team, your life is nothing. A story to which millions of young men and women have given their lives. There's the consumerist story. The story that life does consist in the abundance of possessions, contrary to the teaching of Jesus. The story that ends with this line, the person who dies with the most toys wins. And you all know, because we're hearing it 24-7 these days, you all know the political story, which says that if you can elect the right candidate, if you can get your party in power, if your platform becomes the agenda for the nation, you will succeed. Your life will be good. The nation will be like it's never been before. The political story. That's the kind of thing Peter was thinking of when he coined the term plastic story. All of those stories are partially true. Alluring in their promise and ultimately destructive. Because, says Peter, in the first verse of chapter 2, they all deny the sovereign Lord who bought us. Many personal stories and all of those great cultural stories deny the centrality of the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ who bought us with his blood so that we belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And those stories are why Grandpa Peter was so determined to make sure that his spiritual grandchildren got the story of Jesus and his love right. Rather than being a plastic story fabricated to shape reality, it is an authentic story shaped by historical reality. In our text, Peter focuses on one small chapter in that great story. The chapter entitled, The Transfiguration of Jesus. You remember it, I'm sure. I can picture it. I can, I can see the disciples winding back and forth up that steep mountain. And they get to the top and they flop down on the ground, lean up against a stone, and so exhausted from the climb that they begin to fall asleep. And then they are shocked awake by a sight that would be forever burned into their memory. The Jesus they had known for months now so well they, they knew all the lines in his face and the wrinkles in his clothes was suddenly changed. The word in the Greek is metamorphosis. He was changed completely. 
Those lines in his face were suddenly covered by a brilliance like the sun. His wrinkled clothes began to sparkle and flash like lightning. And suddenly, standing beside him were two men, Moses and Elijah, the two representatives of the Old Testament revelation, the law and the prophets. For one bright, shining moment, the glory of Jesus shone forth from his human body. It was, says Peter, a majestic sight. But even better, God told them a little story about what they were looking at, because otherwise they might not have got it. This great voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. The disciples were so overcome by the thunder of that, of that voice that they, they fell to the ground. And, and, and when they finally got up, Peter, in his, in his typically impetuous zeal, said, let's build shelters here. Let's, let's have something for Moses, Elijah, Jesus to say. Let's preserve this moment. Let's, let's put lightning in a bottle so we always have this time. But there would be no shrine only a story. That story summarizes the whole story of Jesus and his love. It gave his disciples a, a glimpse of the glory hidden in his humility. It proved the divinity in his humanity. It gave them a little foretaste of his second coming when the whole world will bow down before his glory. Luke's gospel tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his upcoming death in Jerusalem. And Mark's gospel says that, that as they were winding their way back down the mountain, Jesus said to his disciples, don't tell anybody what you've seen and heard until after I rise from the dead. You see, it's all there. The whole blessed story, the glory and humility, the humanity and divinity, his death and resurrection, his ascension and his return, the whole blessed story that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It's quite a story, isn't it? I mean, almost too good to be true. Maybe it's one of those cleverly invented plastic stories. That's what the early opponents of Christianity said. It's exactly what they said. It's a myth. They made it up to exploit us. Incredibly, that's even what some liberal Christians say today. It's a myth, but <laughs> Peter says, no, no. This is authentic. This is historical. It simply happened. We were there, we three. We saw it with our own six eyes, and we heard that voice. I'll never forget it. And I'll keep telling that old, old story as long as I live, even if it kills me, which it did.
This is not a cleverly invented story devised to exploit people. This is the authentic story of all history. This is what actually happened. And it can change your life. For many of you, it already has. You can be sure of that, says Peter in, in verse 19 of that first chapter. You can be sure that story is true because through it, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Through that story, the word of the prophets was made more certain. What does that mean? Well, there are some 60 major prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. 60 of them. A while back, a great mathematician calculated the odds of just six of those, eight of those stories coming true in one person. Hundreds of years after the prophecies were given. This mathematician went to work in a way that I can't begin to explain and calculated that the chances of eight of those stories, those prophecies coming true in one person was one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros after it, which I think is 100 trillion. You go home and do the math afterwards. Tell me if I'm wrong. That's hard to think about. Eight prophecies coming true in one person hundreds of years after the prophecies were made. The chances of that are one in 100 trillion. That's an unthinkable number, so let me picture it for you. If you took the state of Texas and put 100 trillion silver dollars in it, you would have silver dollars about two feet deep covering the whole state of Texas. Now, if you took one of them and marked it with, say, a cross and threw it deep in the heart of Texas, your chances of finding that silver dollar are one in 100 trillion. That's how likely it is that eight prophecies, let alone 60, could come true in one person if those prophecies were written by human beings who were simply using their own imagination. But of course, says Grandpa Peter, that's not what happened. They wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave those 60 prophecies that made the word of the prophets more certain. The world is full of plastic stories that manipulate and exploit. And there's this one authentic story rooted in history that doesn't exploit, it exalts. It doesn't take away from your life, it adds everything to your life. It changes your life. And if you've been a Christian so long that you don't know how that story has changed your life, let me remind you, if you believe that story is true, then you know that 
that you are not just some little bit of cosmic dust who happened to be born to your wonderful or dysfunctional family. You are a child of your eternal Father who sent His only beloved Son to become a piece of cosmic dust for us and our salvation. If you believe that story is true, you know that you're not just a miserable sinner who deserves to be punished. You are a forgiven saint because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're not simply a citizen of this great but flawed country now divided by partisan strife. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God in which God is uniting all things under one head, even Jesus. If you believe this story is true, then you know that you are not simply a helpless victim of, of natural and human forces. You are the victorious servant of the sovereign Lord who bought you with his blood and protects you by his power. And if you know this story is true, then you know that you're not a mere mortal who will one day get weak and die and cease to exist. You are the heir of eternal life, the resurrection of your body, and a brave new heaven and earth. And until that time, you're not just wandering around lost in space with no purpose or meaning. You are a disciple of the great teacher who has given you the truth. The same truth he spoke to Moses, Elijah, and Peter. This story has changed your story and mine. And if it hasn't, I urge you to believe it. Now, I'm an old preacher, I admit it. So I love those old songs, like this one. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. I hope that you will too. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we praise you for inspiring the prophets and the apostles and all the writers of Scripture to record the things that happened so that we would know the story of Jesus and his love. Lord Jesus, as we live out our lives, we have so many stories that tempt us to focus on them. Use this text this morning to help us focus on you and your story. 
so that we might have everything we need for life and godliness. Holy Spirit, silence the false teachers. Give powerful voice to the true teachers so that we may have all that God has for us day by day and into eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord.